For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Where are you, where are you headed now? Uh, head down to um, the wood, the Woodlands, uh, Texas, right. so north of Houston. Okay. Um, and then I head to San Diego. I'll record a drop on Saturday. We're doing some work. Sa- I'm sorry. We're doing some work Friday, Saturday, and I'll be home Saturday night and then leave Sunday night and then gone until next Friday. Crazy, man. You travel more. Well, we than have I the do. muster, and then I think we're with you guys the following week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Back down in Houston. Yep. Yeah. Are you in, are you, you're in Dallas area? Yep. Dallas, Fort Worth. North yeah, of Dallas, Fort Worth. I got you. I got you. Yeah. I lived in I lived in Fort Worth for a little bit. I I like that side better than the east side. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's a, a little bit slower of a lifestyle. Yeah, I like Fort Worth a lot better than Dallas. Yeah, yeah. What's um uh before talking business, etc. What's the deal with the beef? Oh yeah. So my best friend started uh, a beef company back in 2017 and it was like if you wanted like a full cow half cow quarter cow type of a deal and yeah. uh, he did that because he was wanting like good quality beef for his family that's what he was raised on and his uncle has been uh ranching and uh cowboying all the major places in texas for like 30 plus years so he has all the relationships and the uh the knowledge and so he reached out to him and that's where they started and at the end of this last year, I, I, I was like, Hey man, um, you know, if there's something I can do to help grow the business and my wife and I can help do anything, just like, let us know. We'd love to partner with you if it yeah. makes sense. Like I was like, I'm not trying to get in on your deal, but if you want or need help, like, let me know. And, sure. uh, and so the same day that I reached out to him, his cousin, who is one of his best friends and his wife said the same thing to him and his wife and they're like <laughs> okay and we all get along really well the six of us well yeah. tyler and i hadn't talked about this at all and uh and so Steve was like okay him and his wife go to church that night and they're like talking about it and praying about it well leading up to this his wife had every time she was like praying for their family and praying she kept getting visions of black cows like cattle Huh. And, 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 and she would tell him and Steven's like, that's awesome. I don't see how that's possible right now. You know what I mean? Like they just weren't in a place to do this by themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so anyways, I reach out to him, Tyler reaches out to him. They go to church that night 
and there's this new praise and worship song based off of Psalms 50:10, and it says, "I own cattle on a thousand hills." Wow! And he's like, looks at his wife, and they're like, "All right, maybe, maybe we should have a conversation about this." <laughs> and uh, and then that started the conversation, and so we invested into it, and then also partnered on like the business side of like, okay, hey, we're not just giving you like, I mean, I would have just given them money as an investment, but I was like, hey, I want to invest and partner on building the business. So yeah. uh, two Sundays ago was our launch, and. Uh, it's cool, man. We, uh, you know, we have local pickups available and uh, also deliveries. So if you order, deliveries go out every Monday, and then we're going to increase that to Tuesdays and Wednesdays when needed. But right mm. now, it's just not enough volume and demand, and nobody's really like ordering on a Wednesday. Going, hey, I, you know, I want it like this week. So um, yeah. everyone understands. You know, for in the beef business, it's you know, you're not ordering beef going, I need it in two days. It's usually like, well, I want it next week. And uh, so it's all, it's premium beef. It's uh, all Texas raised grass, grass fed, grain finished, no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids. Uh, Man, the quality of steak is incredible. I mean, it's, it's unreal. Um, And like we had, uh, because we had a local FTX and we were able to hire Steven and his brother to come grill up burgers and sirloins for everybody uh for the meal which was really yeah. cool and yeah. uh dude Leif Babin was like are those ribeyes and, and we're like no they're sirloins he's like there's no way those are sirloins and so he we sliced he had a few pieces dude the, it's insanely tender man like the sirloins are like ribeyes they're so good man so wow. uh yeah so we're excited you know small small little company just doing four steers at a time uh we're getting our next uh um, refill from the uh, processor uh, tomorrow and so our website will be fully stocked back up on Friday again and so we do shipping and then local pickups so will you will you ship anywhere in the United States yep oh right on anywhere right, in the lower, lower 48 yeah our first this is a cool thing our first, last Monday was our first day of shipping and we um, we had orders in Maine Washington san diego and florida so the four most like extremes and then yeah. kind of everything in between which is cool that's pretty sweet that's yeah. exciting yeah yeah cool. all right I'll, I'll check it out yeah I, I gotta get some of that well yeah just yeah let me know um i would say probably wait until friday or saturday uh okay. just because we'll be fully stocked on everything again okay awesome yeah yeah, I, I, I saw you, you were talking about that online, so I always wanted to ask about it because I, I think that stuff's fascinating, especially nowadays. I've started to pay a lot more attention to where food comes from. Oh, You just, you go to the grocery store, you, your whole life food is just available at the grocery store, as many calories as you could ever imagine. Yeah. And you don't, you don't think twice about how it gets there. And nope. now, especially post COVID, I just, you know, you're questioning a lot more, or at least I am a lot more than I used to. Oh, I am 100% <laughs> brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like all that beef looks good, but where's it coming from and what are they feeding it? And you, you have no idea. So the more I've learned about beef because of this with Steven, even before the partnership, but just talking with him, I was like, ah, mm, you know, and I had opportunities that I've worked with some beef companies as clients. So we've always had access to premium beef mm, yeah. uh, with a discount, you know, which was nice. And um, ours is, man, ours is really good. I, I will say I'll put it up and it's not because of mine, it's just the the quality that Steven and his uncle have produced is incredible, man. And mm. um, like we're working through like little growing pains on the business side, like the, the, 
the processor, like how they, you know, um, packaged them and labeled them. We were like, Hey man, this needs to be a higher quality, you know, like, mm. and cause they're used to not like, they're not having to do that. But, you know, so we're working with a yeah. smaller processor, which is great for us because of the flexibility. Like yeah. they're, they're able to work with us. Every other processor, bro, they're, they're having people bring in semi trucks full of cows. And we're like, we can't compete with that. We're bringing four. Sure. Like we're bringing yeah. four at a time. And yeah. so we're at this stage, which is cool. Like, as you know, in business, you're at those beginning stages, but there's like a lot of little things that were like, no, this has got to change. This has got to change. And, um, and which is cool. Cause they were like, all right, Hey, we want to work with you. We want to grow. And, uh, Steven shared with him our numbers from the first two weeks. And the guy was like, that's unheard of. And Steven's <laughs> like, well, remember my buddy JP that came here? And he's like, yeah. He goes, man, I like, do you remember what he said? Cause I was like, they're like, yeah, this is what we can do. And I'm like, can you scale? And they, they kind of chuckled like, come on, man. I'm like, no, no. Can you guys scale as we grow? And they're like, who is this guy? Because they normally have guys that are coming in and are just like, oh, yeah, we'll happen to do a few steers at a time. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, initially, I'm like, cool, I know we're doing four, but if we do this the right way and God blesses our business, man, we're going to need, like, you guys are going to need to be able to scale. And, and so now we're having these conversations already, like two weeks into it, we're like, hey, here's our numbers. And they're like, uh, okay, well, uh, you know, like, yeah, so it, it, it's good, man. It's been that's awesome. Yeah, but the the ground beef is incredible. I don't know if you like ground beef. Uh, a lot. I eat of, a lot of ground beef. Okay, yeah. so make sure you grab some ground beef. It's so okay. what this is disgusting. Uh, what I learned, Stephen told me, according to the experts, if you go get ground beef from a store like Kroger or uh, Whole Foods or even Costco and Sam's Club, on average you'll have uh, beef from around about a thousand different steers mixed wow. all together, which is disgusting uh, to me. So yeah. think about that's so much risk for cross contamination and there's different fillers and stuff like that. Uh, our ground beef comes from one steer. We don't even mix the four, like the four, even though we have four, everything, all of our ground beef all comes from that one steer. And it's yeah. literally just, the truck roast and the um the the fat so that's what you're getting in our in our hammer it's dude it's so good <laughs> that's that's good i mean i eat like a lot of days like a pound of ground beef so I've, I've been going through a lot of it yeah a lot of people say that man i'm telling you right now you you will be put um i don't know if i can do this but i'll try what i'll do is if if you want right now if you can text me your mailing address yeah. While we do the interview, I'll forward it to Steven and I'll see if he can at least just mail you some ground beef today. They should get there Friday. Um, and then, you know, and then you could try it out and then make your order this weekend and add some more if you like Sweet. it. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be giving you plenty of money. It sounds like so. <laughs> well, I just, I just want people to be happy, you know, and that's, yeah. all, that's all we care about and, and good quality, like good quality beef. Um, yeah, it's good, man. So, anyways, awesome. I know we're not on here to talk about little cattle co. Uh, but yeah, but I could, I could talk to you for an hour about about beef. Um, <clears throat> did you? I, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. Did you grow up in a blue collar family? Yeah, my dad did construction. Um, That's right. His dad get, did construction. Um, 
his whole life. Like he was an old farmer from Nebraska and uh, joined the Navy when he was 16 years old to fight in World War II. And then got, did his four years, got out, went to, uh, went out to California and, um, you know, did different jobs and did construction and did construction his whole life. And my dad did construction and I grew up doing construction and going to job sites with my dad and doing all that stuff. So as, as you were getting into high school, was construction in the picture or yeah. how was that? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love the smell of fresh cut lumber. Uh, I yeah. love the smell of, of nails, like nails in a leather, in a leather um, tool bag, you know, yeah. having a, night, a nice, you know, framing hammer, like hanging on off your side and, you know, the chalk and uh, the chalk lines and the square and the pen, you know, like cutting you know your pencil with your with your knife like i just grew up around that with my dad doing that and you know i did that in elementary school I, there's a I'll, I'll try to find a picture that uh, my mom sent and it's it's me when i'm like five or six years old and i'm helping my dad in the backyard take shingles off the house and i have a tool bag on and i have a hammer and i'm like literally just pulling stuff out of the side of the house and, um, you know, you, you know, learn how to use a cat's paw at a very young age and, you know, just doing all those things that most people, you give it to them now and they're like, uh, what is this weapon? And you're like, no, it's a cat's paw. Yeah. Like, you know, like get, yeah. get those nails out. And, um, so I grew up around that and did it, you know, elementary school, junior high, high school with my dad. And, and I used to say all the time to him and my grandpa, like, I want to do construction like you guys. And both of them mm. were like, no, nah, you know, you need to do something else because, Construction, as you know, is very hard on the body, and uh, you know you're in that world, and and I'm talking like my grandfather and my dad framing houses ten, twelve, fourteen hours straight a day, and back then you got paid off of piecework, meaning the, like the work that you did, you got paid. So they're hustling. It ain't like. Mm-hmm. It, it ain't like most job sites now where you're paying guys their hourly rate and they're just like, uh, it's like, no, you got paid off of what you did, yeah. which I think is a great idea because yeah. you get your eyes hustling, but also there's a quality aspect to it. And so they were able to balance the quality and make sure the guys weren't like cutting corners to get jobs done early. I'm sure that happened. Um, you, we know that happens now, you know, um, yeah. it's just unfortunately um, humans and human error. But, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to do that. And to be honest, if I, you know, as I was getting ready to graduate high school, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I figured I'd probably just work construction with my dad. Um, uh, we had a family cafe cause my dad also was a phenomenal cook, still is phenomenal cook. And so we had a family cafe, uh, when I was in high school, my last couple of years of high school. And so my dad was doing that. And he had some, you know, he had side jobs here and there when he, when he could pick them up and he would do that. And, um, I was graduating high school and I didn't know what I was going to do. And, you know, I told my dad I was going to be a whitewater rafting guy and live on the river. Cause I was like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Like, I mean, I'm 40 and it sounds like a good idea. Now I wouldn't be a bad, <laughs> a bad like I just kind of disconnect from everything. Um, and my dad, you know, being a good dad pushed me and he's like well what about the military you know you you used to play navy seals like why why not becoming a navy seal and um i uh you know honestly i hadn't thought of that for years and i was like okay i just honestly thought man i was gonna you know help work the cafe and do construction with my dad and you know grow my own construction company one day like he did and it's funny about that is it's hey don't don't be in construction because it's hard on your body 
but the military is not exactly easy on your body. <laughs> yeah, the military wasn't exactly easy, but, you know, for sure. Uh, I think he just saw more stability in the military. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. And uh, which, yeah, it, it's comical, um, especially like the wear and tear I've had over the years from the SEAL teams. But um, man, I, uh, I really loved being out on job sites with my dad, my grandpa, my uncle also did construction. My brother did as well. Uh, my brother's in and out of it these days as well, you know, still kind of, um, and, uh, man, I, I, I just, I love working with my hands. I like that aspect of, you know, and, and, and the world that you have of just like, man, the, the heavy machinery work and everything else like that. I always love just like the sound, right? The sound of heavy yeah. equipment and yeah. the sound of, you know, you know, a tractor working and a backhoe working and a bobcat and like the smell, the smell of the, 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 the diesel fuel and mm -hmm. uh, the smell of dirt, like dirt being dug up and you smell the nutrients and the minerals or not nutrients, but the minerals, right. Yeah, of, yeah. of, of the earth. Uh, I always loved that. I just always, I just, man, I just, I loved all of that. And so, um, I remember when we first found out about your company and we were going to be working together, I was all fired up, man. I was like, dude, let, <laughs> let's go. And I've been able to work with a, a lot of construction companies over the years and a sure. lot of construction companies, they, uh, man, they understand these principles of extreme ownership because yeah. it just makes sense. I mean, these aren't revolutionary. These aren't anything that you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, the way Jocko and Leif formulated them in extreme ownership, is is phenomenal and you know uh i know that reading stream ownership changed my life uh i read it before i was a part of the team at echelon front and being able to implement these principles has been a been a game changer for me and i know a lot of construction companies that have really been able to change the culture of their organization um around these principles and you know culture is the ultimate form of decentralized command so if you want your people doing the right thing You've got to empower them to take ownership. You got you have to allow them to take ownership. And when your people start taking ownership and they know what to do and what not to do, and you've you've empowered them with decision making capabilities um to go out there and execute, like that's when things really start moving for an organization. And we get away from the centralized command that some constructions have because they feel like they have to be super controlling because that's the only way to make sure that nobody gets hurt. That's the only way to make sure that we you know, stay within budget. We get the job done on time. And in, in actuality, that is true if you're going to stay small. But if you want to grow and scale your business, you have to step back. You have to let go. And you have to teach your people how to think not what to think. You have to teach them how to think and how to work through those uh, different processes and the SOPs that you have put in place and for them to be able to look at a job site and assess and evaluate and say, okay, hey, this is what I need to be doing. Critical thinking skills. Teach your people how to think. And that's what extreme ownership does because when I drive ownership to you, Aaron, and you work for me and you're saying, hey, JP, what do you think I should do? And my default response is, what do you want to do, Aaron? How do you want to get this job done? Mm -hmm. This is what we need to be doing. And this is why we're doing the job this way. How do you want to get it done? And when I, when I push it back to you by asking you how, it gives you ownership. And it forces mm -hmm. you to think. Because you, and you also might be sitting there going, 
I, I don't know. Like, that's why I'm coming to you, JP. And I just would push it back and say, well, I, I understand that, Aaron, but man, I, I know you're smart. You're a hard worker. You understand the mission. You, you know what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, if you couldn't get a hold of me and you knew you had to execute on this task, how would you get it done? And yes, does this take more time initially? For sure. Mm-hmm. But I'll do this all day long to get it to the point where on the back end, you you know, you have something pop up and you're like, cool, boom, execute, boom, execute, right? As long as you're thinking through things instead of going, hey, JP, hey, JP, hey, JP, like, I don't, I don't need that because I'm trying to be strategic and be looking up and out like a, like a leader should be. Uh, and, and that's what extreme ownership allows you to do is it gives you as a leader, um, more freedom to think strategically. And it also gives you as a leader, the ability to empower your people to help them grow and instill belief into them. Your, your, your background on the subject is really interesting because you were practicing extreme ownership. You were involved in extreme ownership before the book ever existed. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause you're, 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 you're quite literally part of, of a huge part of the book that, and, and the examples they write in that book, which I think is fascinating. So you were, you were there and I, you know, we don't have to go all the way into it, but how, how long did you spend in the military? You were there uh, quite a while. Oh, I mean, it was just under, just under 12 years. 12 years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but you you learned these principles alongside Jocko and Life. Yeah, I was in combat scenarios. Yeah, twenty two. I was I turned yeah I turned twenty two the month before I met Jocko. I was overseas on my first deployment. Turned twenty two years old. Came home in April and met Jocko. All right, so my birthday is in March, St. Patrick's Day, right? So March seventeenth, yeah. St. Patrick's Day. Turned twenty two overseas. April we come home, and then I meet Jocko. In April, wow. when he comes up, I didn't know. He takes over as our task unit commander. Okay, and so so Jocko, he was essentially the boss. Your 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 boss at the end of the day. Yep. So the task unit commander was the boss. He was in charge of that task unit. You had two platoons in our task unit. You had Charlie platoon, which was Leif Babin, who was the officer in charge, and then you had Delta platoon with Seth Stone, who was the officer in charge of Delta platoon. I was in Delta mm-hmm. platoon with Seth, and you had Chris Kyle, who was a point man and lead sniper. In Charlie Platoon, and I was a point man, elite sniper in Delta Platoon. Delta Platoon. So Chris and I were each other's counterparts. I had no idea you were that young while you were out there. Yeah, when we deployed to Ramadi, I turned twenty-three the month before we went there, and I was put in a position of leadership for that deployment when I had just turned twenty-three. What is what is that like to be in that level at that level of leadership? Literally, life and death scenarios as a twenty-three-year-old kid. Man, it's pretty intense, uh, a little sure. overwhelming at first, um, which I know is natural. Like anytime anybody gets put in a position of leadership, uh, there's always that sense of responsibility and burden associated with that. And, and people can feel overwhelmed and just, you know, it's a lot to handle. And I initially had that, a little bit of that, but I had good leaders like Seth who I knew trusted me, who I knew was going to help guide me along. <coughs> My buddy Benny, who was acting as our platoon chief, um, I knew he wasn't going to lead me astray, and you know, and so the three of us were just like working together on everything for our small group that was out on the eastern side of Ramadi, working with these soldiers and Marines. The rest of our platoon was out on the um, the western side, working with Charlie platoon. They stayed out of that big base. So when we got to Ramadi, it was Seth, Benny, myself. 
uh, three other guys and an interpreter that went out to the eastern side of Ramadi to fight out of and live out of this Ford op- operating base. And being in that position, uh, that leadership position out there was was definitely like, oh crap, you know. Initially, yeah. like, cause like, hey, you're gonna be the LPO, but I again to reiterate what I said, I trusted Seth. And I trusted Jocko and I trusted Benny. Like I trusted my leadership and I knew that they weren't going to put me in a position to fail. I knew that they were going to help support me. And also they want us all to win. And they also believe that I had these abilities and skill sets as an individual to actually be able to do what I needed to do in that, in that environment. And the other guys I was working with, my, my peers who, you know, we were all like on our second platoon and, you know, some of these guys were older than me. Actually, all of them were older than me, and they all outranked me. They were awesome. Like, none of them cared. Like, there was no egos involved. They weren't like, well, why are you the LPO and I'm not? Like, none of it. It was just like, hey, guys, this is what we're doing out here. Like, this is what we got to do, and this is what we're working through. And, um, you know, it was a very dynamic environment. And, you know, so I, I just started my own podcast. It comes out this Friday. And my second episode, uh, I interviewed Cody Gandy, which you know from the FTXs. And, yeah. and and so we did an interview and we spread out over two episodes. So episode two and three, it's going to be Cody. And one of the things that we were talking about is, is is training and how him, you know, a lot of people say you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your level of training. I don't, that's actually not true. And mm-hmm. because the, you're assuming that you are outperforming and doing things above your level of training. No, you rise to the level of your training. So yeah. whatever occasion, whatever is happening in life, we hope that our training allows us to rise to that occasion so that we can perform, we can execute, and we can work through these hard times. Now, there's some rarities, like my buddy Dakota Meyer, who's a living Medal of Honor recipient, who you know was able to do unthinkable things in a, in a dynamic environment that you just don't train for. But most of us, we, we're, we're living our life here because we get complacent. We're not holding high standards. And, and then when something happens, we, we rise to whatever's happening, and we can only rise to whatever our training has provided us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know you know you've seen this out in job sites, and you've seen this in business. Like, hey, you know, things happen, and what do we do? Well, we've got to execute. We've got to think. We've got to problem solve. And if you haven't trained your people how to think, if you haven't trained them how to problem solve and, and work through things, well, what are they going to do? They're going to stay at the level that they're at. And so that's why training is paramount. And so I recognized that I had been prepared for this situation through training. Mm-hmm. What, you know, there's a lot of contractors out there right now, though, that um, we're too busy because they're there's this there's this workforce pressure that's getting applied to them at one end um greater and greater and greater as these retirements accelerate it's a real problem and then backlogs only stacking up on the other side and so they have to continue to deliver for the work but they have less people to do so and now they're saying well we uh we we don't have the time we can't afford to train right now and and they've never trained before uh so they don't even know where to start so if, yeah. if with a company like that where do you even begin well, you got to start with something small, and 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 also you have to understand that the 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 thought process and the statement of "I don't have time" that's a lie. Just say it's not a priority. That's the truth. I don't. It's not a priority for me to train. Okay, cool. Well, your competitor that's out there training, 
they'll pass you up hmm. and they'll take your work from you and they'll take your people from you. So if you, if you're okay with staying stagnant and, you know, not being able to grow, which allows you to actually deliver more impact and, and make more money and, and help people make more money and, and provide stability. If you're okay with that, then just say, just say it's not a priority, but you, you, we've got to stop the lie of, I don't have time. We all have as much time as we want to do the things that we need to do. The things that we make a priority, we will get done. And, you know, it's the same thing for, for working out. Like I can, I can say, Hey, I don't have time to work out. You know, um, like yesterday I could have said that like, Hey, I don't have time to work out because I have this full day workshop. And as soon as I get done, it's an hour and a half drive and traffic to Boston. And then I got to catch a flight. I don't get, I don't land until nine 45 at night. And by the time I get home, it's going to be 10 30. And I've got to spend time with my wife and kids before they go to bed because, you know, I've been gone for a couple of days and I'm not going to be able to work out. You can see, I could easily justify, Hey, I don't have time to work out yesterday, but you know what I did? I woke up early. And I got to work out in my hotel room. And it wasn't an ideal workout because it was in the hotel room. But you can get a lot of work done with just push-ups, squats, burpees, jumping jacks, shadow boxing, you know, um, you know, arms. Like you could do like you could do enough body weight. And man, I, I did, man. My, my average heart rate was 147 beats per minute like during this whole workout. And so I got the work done. Now, again, it wasn't some crazy like weight workout or CrossFit style workout, but I don't need to do those every day. As long as I'm getting work done, that's what I need for, for me. And mm -hmm. it was a priority. So I got it done. So it, it's these, these companies and people who say, I don't have time and then fill in the blank, whatever it is. I don't have time, you know, to do a date night. You know, we got a lot of stuff going on at home and both. No, you do. It's just not a priority. And it's for training. It's the same thing. You have to train people. But here's the deal. Training people think of this big, long, elaborate thing like, hey, I got to go, you know, do a full day of training or a half day or a couple hours of training or, you know, okay, Echelon Front does training. Okay, they do this two-day event called the muster. Oh, you know, I don't have two days or, hey, um, you know, Build what's doing this big event. Like, I don't know if I can go to that. Yeah. Well, one, yes, you can. Yes, you should. Right. Especially if you're in this industry, they should be at your training, uh, for sure. Um, it's just about making that a priority, but okay. Let's say you legitimately can't afford that, or you can't, you can't move things around on your schedule that allows you to go there. Okay. That's fair. You could you could say stuff like that. That's actually that's factual. We know that you might have commitments that you can't change. That's all right. Um, but what we all can do is we can do some form of training every single day. And you have to get creative. You know, my dad used to, was really good at this on job sites. Like if I didn't know what to do, he would take a few minutes and show me. And then he'd have me do it in front of him and teach it back to him. And then I'd be like, all right. And then I was you know, able to do something. And that would take what, five, 10 minutes max. And here's the deal. Can you take 10 to 15 minutes a day to do some sort of training mm -hmm. with your people? The answer is yes. The answer is always going to be yes. Whether it's safety training or training on how to use a new piece of equipment or training on how to use a new piece of technology 
you know, so that, you know, you can upload your receipts properly, you know, so that your company can do their expense reports or, you know, upload these documents to the portal that your client is now implementing that you upload documents to so that it gets approved for the jobs. And yeah, you can do it. You just have to make it a priority. So don't, you're not allowed to say, I don't have time anymore. You lead something within Echelon Front called the FTX, the field training exercise. Yes, sir. And I have spectated uh, uh, one of these events and uh, or these these training sessions, yeah. and it's it's really in depth training. So this is what more more hands on intense training. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating because you you run. And you probably can explain it better than I can, but you run several missions throughout the day. Yeah. So I, I think you know there were maybe seven missions in the in the day that I saw. And the first mission is complete chaos, complete chaos, and is a lot of fun to watch because you just have you you have no idea what's happening. And everybody's just kind of you, you, they go in there, they're exposed to pressure and stress, and then they just they just go all over the place, run around. There's no yeah. there's no strategy, and then by the end. The team, it looks really good. Everybody's communicating effectively. You can see the strategy unfolding right in front of you. Can you walk people through some of the principles, those simple principles you're teaching in a day like that and why they're important? Yeah, so the the field training exercises that we run that you're talking about, we call the FTX or the Leadership Lab. What we do, the reason why we do that is to, to, to allow people to see and feel the leadership principles that we teach at Echelon Front real time. So you're going to feel the laws of combat. You're going to see voids of leadership. You're going to feel voids of leadership. And one of the things, Aaron, that you said that was it's, it's very critical for success is communication. You said when they start communicating and they're working together – Things start to come together at the end of the day. And, and that's what is the difference. That's the difference. And at the beginning of the day, uh, the reason why guys and gals are failing and having a hard time conducting these missions and performing and actually winning is because nobody's actually talking together. Nobody's communicating in a simple, clear, and concise manner. Nobody's listening to the insight and input from their other teammates. They're violating cover and move, which is our first law of combat. There's no teamwork going on. There's all these little silos and people creating the plan by themselves. And then, all right, hey, guys, this is what we're doing. And this is how you're going to do it. And there's no decentralized command of saying, hey, guys, this is what we have going on. This is why we need to go do this capture kill mission. This is who we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Squad leaders, let me know what you want to do. But there's none of that. And then when things shift and change out there in the mission, which they will. They always do. And that represents life because life is very dynamic. There's a lot of different priorities happening. When those things happen, people freeze. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. They don't know how to think through these situations because of the stress. Stress is a beautiful thing. It induces um, a, a, it induces, I'm sorry, stress helps bring out, induced stress helps bring out who we are, good and bad. And it allows us to, to grow as individuals and it allows us to see our strengths so that we can keep doing those things and allows us to see our weaknesses so that we can change and fix those things. And that's what people get from the FTX, the field training exercise that we run. It's a hands-on scenario-based leadership training 
that allows people to work through problems real time, that allows them to understand these principles, feel the principles, and implement the principles real time. And that's that's the big thing, Aaron. Like, knowledge is not power. I'm sure you know a lot of smart people. I know a lot of smart people. I'm sure between the two of us, we know a lot of really smart people that don't do anything with that knowledge. So knowledge isn't power. It's the application of knowledge that makes you powerful, that gives you power to, to actually provide value to the people around you so that you can help people grow and expand who they are. Like that's the goal of a leader. That, that's what makes you a leader. It's not your title. It's your ability to influence the people around you so that they believe in themselves, they believe in the mission, they understand the mission, and they can go out there and take action. That, that's what leadership is. And the FTX program allows you to understand these leadership principles real time. We come back from the mission, we sit down, we debrief it right away, and we sit and we talk about, okay, hey, what, what, was, the, what was the biggest takeaway from that? And it's not ta- tactics. We don't talk tactics. We don't care about your tactics. But it's like, hey, what, what did you learn from that? And how does it apply to your business? What, you, you've run a lot of these at this point. I mean, how, how many would you say you've been involved in? I mean, hun- hundreds? Yeah. It's, yeah so you've, yeah. you've done this with all kinds of people in all different places, environments, and everyone's probably a little bit different. Yeah. What, what, what have you learned of uh, being a part of that process and seeing so many just average people, civilians going through something like this? And, and what, what, have, what have your takeaways been? Detachment is a superpower huh. because when people learn to detach, they can see the big picture. They can see what's happening around them. They can actually make, make a call because uh, the natural tendency for almost everybody that we work with is they're hard workers mm-hmm. and they like to work just like in the construction industry. For the most part, it's full of men and women that like to work hard. Like you don't go into the construction industry and go, man, I'm going to get this easy job. No, you know, now are there some? Yeah. But for the most part, we know men and women in the construction industry, they, they're going there for that, you know, cause they, they're okay with the hard work. They're fine with it. They work hard. That's just what they do. Sure. And, and so what I've seen is, since people have these characteristics of being a hard worker, uh, they have a really hard time not doing the work when they're in a leadership position. I mean, so when they're on, when they're out there patrolling with their team and they have a weapon and they get sucked into like shooting their gun the whole time, but they're in a leadership position, what should they be doing? They should actually be leading. So yeah, there's a time and place proximity of threat Hey, if there's work to do, yeah, you got to do it initially. But your goal as a leader is to step back and not be doing the actual work so that you can think, you can process what's happening, and you can lead. You can guide your people. And then you teach them how to do the same thing. And that's the biggest thing is that we see in these FTXs, Aaron, is people don't have the ability to detach. They get sucked into to doing the work, and they're just sitting there shooting their gun the whole time. And nobody's doing anything because guess what they're waiting for? They're waiting for some leadership, some direction. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't get off the gun that are in non-leadership positions, which is equally important, is if I'm if I'm just a gunner, 
uh, if I'm just a shooter, right, with my group, and I'm just shooting my gun the whole time, but I'm never looking around and, and seeing what's going on and seeing if there's a void of leadership and like, hey, why are we why are we still sitting here? Why ha- why aren't we falling back to that building? Why are we not you know taking the high ground? And I and I'm not looking around. Well, I can't I can't actually assess what's happening. And I can't say like, oh, my boss is over there shooting his gun. Mm-hmm. I need to go take the work from him. Because when I take that work for him, it allows him or her to be more strategic. And then I can say, hey, boss, I got this. Hey, get us back to that building. Right? And then now I'm, I'm leading up the chain of command. And I'm saying, because I know that's where we need to be. And maybe my boss knows that as well, probably. But maybe they're just so overwhelmed they can't actually make a decision. So I say, hey, boss, get everybody back to that building. I'll keep laying down cover fire. Mm. And that's how you lead up the chain of command. But if I'm not detaching, and looking around, could I ever actually make that call as a shooter? No. So detachment is a superpower. And it's such a simple principle, but I have been so guilty of this over the past two years, getting so sucked in on things that I should not have been involved in. And it's it's I see this a lot with construction too. The hard work, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it's also comfortable for people. Yeah, that's that's their that's their comfort zone. Ironically, is the hard work because and they're they good at it. They're, they're good at it. Yeah. yeah, and they feel like they're doing something. And yeah. when they're not doing something, they have this guilt. Then at least I felt this guilt where everybody around me is working, busting their asses, and I'm sitting around here thinking, like, who am I? <laughs> because you have this, you have this, um, this, this. Uh, there's this thought that that leaders always need to be in the front you know you need to be out leading the charge doing the work before yeah that's a lie it's a lie it's a lie like you need to be willing to do the work but uh, (laughs) you can't be doing it all the time because you're not a leader because you can't lead and uh, you know that 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 i know what you're talking about is like that that meme or gif or whatever it's called the picture that's going around or it says the boss and it has this guy sitting up on a chair and their people are like all like pulling a rope and leading forward and the boss like sitting up there as the leader and the leaders in the very front, like pulling everything with them. Well, (laughs) dude, that guy, that idiot up front is heads down pulling. Where is he leading them? He's not leading them that you can't lead from that uh, position Mm. because when you're in the front, you have a lot of stuff that you need to be focused on and looking at. And if you're all the way in the back, guess what you can't do? You can't see what's happening in the front. So as a leader, you actually need to float and you need to, your position needs to be fluid for you're going back and forth and you're finding points of friction, helping them get to a solution or at least on the path to solving a problem. And then boom, you go find the next one, the next one, the next one. And you're doing this constant, you're, you got to be moving around as a leader. You cannot be static. I think the I think extreme ownership, laws of combat, what you all teach at Echelon Front, I think it's so um it, it the construction just resonates really deeply with it because I think the military is similar in a lot of ways to construction. There's yes. a clear there's a clear mission. You have your teams that are defined with a defined chain of command. There's a lot of variables. In some situations, it is life and death. There are people's lives at stake in this world. What if I'm, I hear this all the time, I resonate with younger people more than the older people, go figure, because I'm in my 20s. What if I'm a younger foreman? Uh, I'm in my late 20s. I've been around a little bit, so I know what's going on, but I don't, I don't know nearly everything. Yeah. And I'm leading a, a crew that's more experienced, like you said, some of these older guys. Uh, they've been around the block. They outrank me, quote unquote. 
Um, I'm working for a company that is a little old school. And so they're not giving me a whole lot of resources from a training standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from the top. Cool. But I'm, I'm out on this job site, and, uh, you know, without supervision, I want to take ownership. I want to be leading my guys a little bit more effectively. What are some of the things I can be thinking about doing as that young leader on that job site to start making a difference, even if I'm not getting the support from, from above? Me? Yeah. So the very, the very first thing that you need to do is start building relationships with your people. Hmm. And being a leader is not, hey guys, listen up, I'm in charge, bring it in. Like that's not what good leaders do. And so if you are that young leader that's working with older guys, so like, you know, let's say your situation, you're in your late 20s, me, I'm 40, right? I've been doing construction since I graduated from high school. I've been doing it for 22 years. And, you know, you're now my boss. The best thing that you could do is start building a relationship with me and, you know, and asking me questions and and say, hey, JP, you know, you've been doing this for 22 years. Uh, You know, if you were to share one lesson with me, what would that be? You know, so let's just say, let's just flip the roles and you've been doing it for 22 years and I'm in my 20s and I'm, I'm, I'm now your foreman because I'm in that position. And I go out to the, you know, I, I meet you and in, in the team. And like the first thing I'm going to say is like, Hey guys, I'm really looking forward to working with you guys. I know you guys have a lot of experience and, you know, I've heard a lot of really good things about you guys. Just know that I'm here to support you guys and I appreciate you guys. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to go into this big thing about how I'm the boss and this is what I do and this is what I expect and this is how I lead and this is what I expect of you guys. That will come. But for me, my first initial thing is like, hey, really looking forward to working with you guys. Sure. And that's it. That's it. And then I'm going to start having one-on-one conversations with everybody. And I'm going to pull you aside and say, hey, Aaron, do you have five minutes I could chat with you? I just had a few questions. want to get to know you a little bit better. And I, I, want, I want to learn from you. And you know, I'm going to say, hey, you know, you've been doing this for 20-something years. And that's, that's, that's incredible. Uh, thinking back over the over the twenty two years, like if if you were to share like one major lesson with me, what would it be? And then you know what? As you're sharing that with me, guess what I'm doing? I'm writing it down. Mm-hmm. I'm literally I'm writing it down. I'm gonna say, all right, cool. Hey, you know, like I'm gonna write it down in a notebook, and then I'm gonna say, hey, you know, as your boss, what do you expect from me? Like, how can I best serve you? What do you What do you need from me, and what do you expect from me? And I'm going to write that down mm-hmm. and I'm going to have those conversations with everybody. And, you know, whenever there's time to do something, I'm going to give it to you guys. I'm not going to take lead on anything. I'm going to let you guys take lead on it because it's what you guys are good at. It's what you guys know to do. And, you know, we have this new thing come out. I'll be like, all right, hey guys, bring it in. Um, you know, as you guys know, we're, we're headed to this new job site. You know, this is what we're going to be doing. Um, you know, this is, you know, this is why this company is bringing us out here. This is what they're wanting to achieve. This is why they're wanting things done this certain way. I know it's a little, a little peculiar, not like how we normally do it. Obviously it's well within our capabilities as a crew. How do you guys think, um, we should best attack this? What's your guys' thoughts? And then I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. And then maybe I have people, guys, that are super reserved, that they don't want to share that because they're going to be like, well, you're the boss. You just tell us what to do. 
And if they did say that, I'd be like, well, okay, yeah, technically I am your boss, but I also know, Frank, that you have way more experience than I do in this. And I actually want to learn from you in regards to how you would do this so that I can better lead other crews and groups. And, and to be honest, like I know that you're going to have a better idea than me. So what do you want us to do? How, how would you take lead on this? And, you know, I'm just going to start talking with the guys. And again, you have to understand, you might have some hard asses because construction's full of a bunch of hard asses that are just like, hey, no, you're the boss. You tell me what to do. Because they're so used to that's how their whole adult life has been. Yeah. It's, it's like only do exactly what's told of them. And so I've got to break that down. But my focus is building relationships. Because if mm -hmm. I have really good relationships with my people and they know that I trust them, and they know that I'm there to support them, then I have the ability to influence them. Yeah. yeah I, <clears throat> um, the other night I was reading, I believe it was, I'm pretty sure it was Socrates. There's a bunch of those really smart guys that I just m mesh all together into one giant, brilliant enterprise. What were you reading? Um, it, was a, it was called the, uh, it's just War by Robert Greene. Oh, cool. It's, it's a, fantastic book because it's all these principles of warfare illustrated by historical examples and it was about socrates and how he would disarm people and so the approach was he would basically point out how little he knew uh and would disarm people and then he would praise the people he was speaking to for how much they knew and their expertise and it would completely take people's barrier you know all the way down or <laughs> And then he would start to introduce ideas and start to be able to work with them after he had disarmed them and brought that, brought that barrier down. Yeah. And that's, you basically said that that's basically the approach is, is, Hey, I don't know what's, you know, I, I don't know how to do this as well as you do. You're, you're the expert here. I'm here to help. And that disarms people. So now you're not, you're not, you're not locking horns with people right away. Cause if you lock horns, there's, there's no influence happening. There's nothing gonna. There's there's nothing productive that's gonna happen past that point. Mm -hmm. And so, I think uh, it's just interesting that that's basically the a, a time tested principle it that works. is still working just fine today. Dude, it works, man. And it's just yeah. you disarm people by taking ownership as well. That's the other yeah. thing to think sure. about. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's uh, interesting what you said too about how how a lot of people don't know how to think because they've never had to think. And something I've had to recognize building a business is you you get everybody has a totally different background and totally different set of experiences, yeah. and they could be coming from twenty years of abuse in a lot of ways of just being told what to do. Yes, man, and that yes, you don't know how you get. And here's the deal: most most adults, unfortunately. And fortunately, however you want to look at that, are able to take that abuse from bad leaders because they're like, hey, man, yeah, I hate my boss, but I make a good living. Sure. And I've got to provide for my family. Dude, I have a wife and three kids. I will endure anything for them. Anything. Mm -hmm. Now, fortunately, I have the best bosses in the world and the, I get to do the best thing. But I think you know this, you know, six and a half years ago, I would, you know, seven years ago is when I started doing this and I came on board almost seven, but even my first six months of working at Echelon Front, I still had to do this to, to make ends meet, to bridge the gap because I didn't, 
I didn't, nobody's calling Echelon Front to book JP to know back then, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I didn't have a lot of work. I was, man, I was delivering pizzas, bro, to make ends meet for my family. I was going door to door in neighborhoods and asking people and knocking on their doors and asking them if they wanted their address spray painted on the curb in front of their house so that mm-hmm. first responders could easily see that so that I could make $20 a pop. Mm-hmm. And then I was doing construction with my buddy up in Nashville. I would drive from South Haven, Mississippi early. I'd get up at like 3.30 in the morning on Wednesday, drive to Nashville, meet up with him, work all day, sleep in his attic, work all day Thursday, sleep in the attic, work all day Friday, drive back, see my wife and kids for like an hour maybe, and then go deliver pizzas until one in the morning. And then I would stay there for an extra hour to clean up the kitchen and, and, and help clean. Man, I was at one point the most highly decorated E5 in the SEAL teams, and now I'm cleaning out clogged up drains at a pizza place because these idiot 18-year-olds don't know to throw the food in the trash before you put the the food in the sink, and there's not Mm -hmm. a garbage disposal, and they're literally just shoving stuff down the drain, and you're like, you're an idiot. You're an absolute idiot, you know? But I'm in my 30s, like up to my elbow in dirty, nasty sink water, trying to clear out the drain. And it's like, I'm doing that because I got to make money for my family, man. Like there's nothing I won't do for my family. And so there are, there are people that will stay in hostile, toxic work environments because it's a, it's, it's a way for them to provide for their family. And now they might be working for you and they've never seen a good boss. So when they're hesitant to believe you and trust you and build a relationship with you, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's your job as a leader to break down those barriers and to build that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've, I've learned too. Yeah. You, you can't take it personally. Um, if you're a, you're a foreman, yeah. you, you'll, you have no relationship with this person, but they still, they still take their relationship with prior foreman and project that onto you. Yep. And it's easy to take that personally. Like, why don't they trust me? I, I, I've never done anything wrong to them. And then you get bent out of shape about it. Well, you know what? I'm not going to trust them because they don't trust me. And it's so easy to spiral very quickly if you don't recognize that, wait a minute, this actually has nothing to do with me. <laughs> and I, I need to go put myself over there because this is doing me no good. Which is funny you say that because that's our ego getting in the way. Yeah. Until you can realize like, hey, well, hold on. This has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. Chill. Relax. Like quit letting your ego get in the way and think this is about you. It's not about you. Yeah. What have, when it comes to leadership, what have you struggled with most? Um, well, detachment, right? Because right. detachment is difficult. Um, and for me, one that was always hard for me was, and still to this day, is decentralized command. I don't like giving up stuff, not because I don't trust them, but because I like doing the work. Sure. I like being with my guys and doing the work. And I, you know, in the, when I was in the military, I was always the youngest and most junior ranking guy. So it was always coming from the top down. Hey, and I was just doing the work and I like, yep, 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 yep. And I'd take all the work on I'd take stuff off my boss's plate. And so for me, the biggest struggle I've had, and especially with, at Echelon Front is, you know, I built out the FTX program that was my baby, created it, you know, built up Cody to where he could take that position in that spot from me. Um, 
easily, like no brainer. And, um, you know, he's made it better than when I had it. And so for me, it was just like stepping back and just being like, Hey man, you got this. Mm. Uh, and again, it wasn't ever because I didn't trust Cody. I trust Cody. He's man. He's super squared away and he's good. And, um, man, he's really good and he's really smart. It was just because I like doing the work and I've had to reframe my brain, brain to doing a different type of work. With all of the work you do, because you still do a lot of work and you still, as you were saying, you travel a lot, you're away from home a lot. You're, you're going all the time and now you're involved in this other business. You're doing a podcast. Like, yeah. dude, you've, you've got a lot going on. Uh, and you also have a family. Yep. And construction, it's another theme within construction is long hours, night work, weekends, holiday work. You're going, oftentimes you're operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week on a lot of these operations. Yeah. How, how have you, what have you had to, to do to balance and, and sort out the different parts of your life to make sure your family's good to go while you're, while you're so busy? Well, my wife and I have a really good relationship and we communicate about everything. And we have open means of communication. And if there's ever a time where um, she's not being fulfilled, like her cup's not being fulfilled and like I'm not pouring into her cup, right? And um, then she'll tell me. She'll be like, hey, I need you to put us on the calendar. And I'm like, "Mm, okay, check. Like that's usually an indicator that we're a little off balance is when she said, hey, I need you to put us on the calendar. And um it's like, all right, cool. You know, and then just making things a priority and being more intentional with my time and realizing I don't need to do all these things that I think I need to be doing. And there's a time that I can just be like, <coughs> like, so me and my buddy started a ministry called Jesus and Jiu-Jitsu. And then we have a podcast called the Jesus and Jiu-Jitsu podcast to help talk about the ministry and spread the word. And then I have my own podcast that's coming out this Friday and you know uh the beef company that i invested into and i have a an apparel company a t-shirt printing apparel company that's going to be up and running in the next 45 days with one of my other best friends and so a lot going on for sure and you know kids doing jujitsu i do jujitsu my son wrestles my wife you know we moved into this house we got a lot of stuff going on it's learning to to prioritize the time slots and make sure that you're making use of your time but then also is like you know, there's sometimes I'm looking at my calendar and I have to tell my buddies like, Hey man, you guys are gonna have to record without me. Do a, do a few episodes without me. Um, mm-hmm. I can't do it. And the guy that I'm recording this podcast with, who hosts it with me, who does all the, the editing, the uploading and all the stuff. I told him from the front end and we had very clear communication and alignment on my availability. And I said, Hey man, there might be times where, you know, we're going to have to record for five hours in one day to get multiple episodes done because I just won't, you know, the following weeks is going to be pretty crazy for me or, Hey, you know, I might have to meet you up at the studio at, at 12 in the morning so that we can record, you know, while all all of our families are uh, asleep. And he was like, cool, whatever I'm down. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we have that alignment, right? And so my wife and I have that alignment. I have the alignment with my other buddies that I do business stuff with. They're like, hey, I'm super busy. Echelon Front is my number one priority when it comes to business. It always will be. Here's what I can give you. 
And if there, if we're not, if we don't have alignment on that, then I just, I don't do it. Like I don't partner with them. I won't do whatever. And, uh, I also respect my time. And if people don't respect my time, then I don't work with them anymore. And I, I've, I've also had to learn to say no, you know, I've had, you know, people that have wanted to do things with me and it's like, all right, cool. Hey, here's what I can do. Here's what you need to do. And then when they don't do anything on their end, I'm like, done. Right. Like, and it's not a bad thing. Like, not a bad mm-hmm. thing. Some of those guys are like, I'm still buddies with guys like that. And it's just like sure. realizing that they don't take it serious. So then why would I, why would I keep investing time into something that they don't take serious? And again, not a bad thing. They're not bad people. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a difference of priorities and they don't have the same priorities and the same um, urgency that I have. Then it's just not going to be a good fit. Like, let's just hang out. Let's do jujitsu. Let's, let's talk like, you know, that's fine. We can do that. Um, but with my family, my like, going back to this again to reiterate this, you know, my wife and I have alignment. We're on the same page. Um, she's very strong. She's very supportive, and she has no problem telling me like, "Hey, I need a little more. I need a little more JP time. I need you. I need you around this weekend. We sure. hey, as a family, I, I'd like for us to go do this." And I'm like, "Cool." But then also as a family, we get to go do cool stuff. My family also understands what pays for those cool things. It's hard work, you know, like, you know, as a family, we go to Maine and we go to California, visit my friend, my family, and they, they come to musters with me and, you know, like I pay for, you know what I mean? Like, so, so they, they get to do these things and they, they understand where that comes from. How, how are you approaching leadership with your kids? How are, how are you teaching them? leadership and these principles because is it a similar is it a similar approach literally the same way yeah now just understanding that how you communicate is going to be slightly different because you're talking to kids but the principles are the same man like the principles they're universal doesn't matter who you are what you do how old you are uh the principles are universal it's um and that's what's interesting about leadership i think a lot of people apply it to strictly business and work yeah uh and yet the principles bleed over into every aspect of life, no matter where you're at in life. It, it, it's, it's completely universal. Dude, we have a 17-year-old son, um, and he uses these principles on the wrestling team. He uses these principles in, in, in school and at home. And here's the, day, here's the deal. I mean, he's also a 17-year-old boy, so he's a knucklehead, and he'll do stuff where I'm like, he's just a kid and you know that's a problem i I will say that i had for a while is because aiden is a bit like he's tall and he's a bigger kid is i treated him like he's a lot older than he was and then as he got older i treated him like an adult and was like okay hold on there's a balance there yes you want to treat your kids like adults and show them respect and, and teach them these things however they're also kids you don't want to take away that innocence and that childhood from them because that's fleeting. That time is fleeting. And so it's just understanding that you have to, you have to change your communication when you're talking to your kids, but these principles are the same. Like our kids would be like, well, I didn't do that. And we're like, well, hold on. Like, are we, are we blaming other people or are we, or, or do we take ownership? And they'll be like, and it's hard for them to fr- reframe their thought process because it's natural. As as you know, we've talked about these principles. It's it's natural for you to make excuses and and point the finger and blame other people. That's just a natural thing that we do as humans. And it's really hard 
for you to sit there and be like, hey, you know what? I know my I know my crew that did the actual work did the wrong thing, but that's my fault as their boss because I didn't have clear communication. I didn't sit down and take the time for them to brief back the plan to me so that I could see that they actually were planning on doing the wrong thing. In their plans, it was written up wrong, and I didn't even review those plans. I didn't have them brief to me how they were going to conduct this job site, and that's on me 100% because I haven't trained them, I haven't communicated with them enough, and I haven't built a a good enough relationship and a culture to where they feel like we can have back-and-forth conversations. That's 100% my fault. Yeah. To do that, what I just role-played, most humans cannot do that, and they won't. Because their ego gets in the way and they don't want to admit that it could actually be them because it is their fault. If your team is doing something wrong and you're in a leadership position, it is your fault. Your kids are doing something wrong. It is your fault. It is 100%. It's, it's, and it's such a simple principle, but it's, I, I know you guys say this simple, but hard. It's simple, but hard. It is so much more difficult in practice to, to check your ego <laughs> and to truly admit that, yep, this was my fault. Uh, but once you do, it, it, it's also freeing in a, in a sense because I feel like what you guys talk about this too, it's, it's, it's overwhelming at first because, oh man, uh, my life's not where I want it to be. I, I'm not where I want to be in my career. My family's not where I want to be. Whatever it is, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not in shape. Yep. And when you start to look at, man, that's, that's on me. Uh, it's defeating at first and it's really overwhelming at first, yep. but then it, you, you come around to, you're like, wait a minute. So if I got myself here, that means I can get myself out of this, Yep, which is fantastic. And, yes. and I just need to put in the work to make that happen. And then you put in the work, you build that confidence and then you apply those principles elsewhere and you can create something pretty substantial and not that much time. Yes, Absolutely. Um, when I read extreme ownership, it was liberating because I realized what you just said. I was like, wait, hold on. I caused all these problems. I can actually fix all the problems just by taking ownership again. And what's unique is when I read extreme ownership, I wasn't a part of the team yet. And it brought me back to all the things that I did when I was in the SEAL teams and the things that I knew to be right and true, the things that I knew that would help me win. And you just go back to doing those things and things in your life start to work out well again. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I think this will be hugely valuable because I think these principles, again, they're, they're so simple. They resonate with construction, but pff, a lot of people need to hear this kind of stuff. I need to hear it. I, 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 could, I couldn't hear, I, I couldn't listen to this too much. I, I, every day I'm trying to get better at what I'm doing because I'm just a kid in my 20s. I don't know how to lead. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm weighing over my head. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, I find it super helpful. So hopefully others, others do too. Well, what's great is that you, okay. Well, what you said might be true. Okay. You at least have the humility to admit that and say, Hey, you know what? I, I, I need, I need resources. I need training. I need help. And that's what, that's the difference. You know, that's what will be the difference between you and these other companies. That's why you will be successful. And that's why you'll be able to, you know, you'll develop yourself as a leader. You'll develop your, you'll you'll develop the leaders around you. And for people that are listening, you can make excuses or you can make things happen. You can't do both. And ownership wins every single time. Leadership is the solution to any problem that you have going on in your life. And leadership is not a title. This is not a title thing. This is you leading 
the people around you, you communicating to the people around you, you listening to the people around you. That's what leadership is, is is the ability to communicate to the people around you, to build trust, build influence, to listen to them, and then to inspire them and to instill belief into them so that they believe in themselves, they believe in the mission, and then they can actually go out there and take action so that they can go get to work. And that's what we need to be focused on. Yeah. Um, you, there's, there's some podcasts within Jocko's podcast where you probably go into your story. I yeah. take it. Yeah. Yeah. If, if people uh, want to hear yeah. more about you. So if they want to go to Jocko's podcast, um, episode 46, 246, 309, 376, 390. I've been on all those, but 46 and 246 really share my story. Um, and then 309, we dive into some other stuff as well. And then um, 376 and 390, it's, it's different. We talk about a few different things, but it's mostly us. It's a different type of co- yeah. podcast, which is cool. And then, you know, if people want to, you know, check out my podcast, uh, you know, JP Donnell podcast, uh, it's on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Um, hoping people watch on YouTube because that helps with the rankings and that actually helps us out. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, I don't, it doesn't matter as long as people are listening. Like, I'll have, my brief story on there for that first episode. And then the, that, that story, my life will slowly be coming out over all the episodes through mm-hmm. uh, just different stories and, and talking points and leadership points. Like the whole point of my podcast is to share a different perspective of what we do at Echelon Front, how we do things and what I get to learn at Echelon Front, what I've learned over the years working for Jocko and Leif and in the SEAL team's, growing up in construction, you know, and, and then being able to bring on different people like you, like, right. I'd love for you if you're in the Dallas Forward area to come up and be a guest um, and just share like what you've learned in life and business. And my, my whole intent is to help people like your podcast. The intent is to help people to bring yeah. awareness, to drive awareness, to educate people. And, you know, it's like, that's what you guys do at build with. And that's what you guys do with your big events. And I'm looking forward to being at that event coming up, man. I can't wait. I'm I'm so everybody's asked. They're like, how'd you guys get Echelon from? I'm like, I I honestly don't know, but it's really cool and I'm really excited. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh well, thanks for your time, JP. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Thank you.